Wednesday night. I love Wednesday night. It's a special night. I was thinking about this passage from Psalm 8. And if you have a Bible or iPhone or iPad, Psalm 8, and we're going to use several verses, but David, this is a Psalm of, of David, and it's placed to music, but um, he, I'm going to read this from the first from the New King James Version. And uh, verse 3, we're going to start with the verse 3. He says, I want you to, if you were to title what I want to teach tonight, it would be called Never Out of His Sight. (laughs) I know there's times in my life when I felt like that. Where are you, Lord? He's always been there. So David says it very well. He said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers... The moon, the stars, which you've ordained. What is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him, you've made him a little lower than the angels. Now that's a weak word. It's actually Elohim. You've made him a little lower than God. And you've crowned him with the glory and honor. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. He goes on to say, All sheep, oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea, O Lord, O our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. What is man that you're mindful of him? Now, I remember being in Ecuador and the elevation there is quite a bit. They, we flew into Quito, which is the two-mile-high city, is what they call it. And uh, I thought I was going to have to have an oxygen tank before I made it to the, to the uh, transport because I wasn't used to the thin air. I did have to get adjusted to it. But I remember one night we were in the city of, of uh, Sakua, close to the jungle, and, and there was a, I thought, we thought it was fire, uh, gunfire because it really sounded, it was loud and it was really sharp. So we asked um, the missionary there what, what, what that was. And he said, that's thunder. We were so close to it that, and the, I'm telling you, the, the, when you look into the heavens, you know, the Milky Way is the Milky Way because you can't see past the stars. There's so many of them. And uh, <clears throat> when you think about the galaxy and the universe, you know, I, I see myself in, in light of the, the enormous universe as a speck. Just 8 billion people in the world. I remember back in the 60s, it was 3 million. Well, it was quite a population explosion. And so when you think about how big the universe is, I remember being there at the girls' house of hope where young girls would be rescued from prostitution. I'm talking about 13, 14-year-olds. Their parents would sell them for money. And they would be rescued and brought to this house of hope. And we were there to help expand and build. And I remember it was my assignment. And I might have shared this with most of you. But I I remember I was supposed to speak that night at their church service. And I was led to Psalm 36. Where down in verse 5 where it says, Lord, your mercy reaches to the heavens. Now, that word mercy is also, it's the loving kindness. Thank you, Timothy. Just leave that with me, my friend. Thank you. It's loving kindness. Your loving kindness reaches to the heavens. That means you can't find it out. There's no way to 
the scientists don't even know how big the universe is and the galaxies and, that are out there. They're still researching. And because and, when God spoke all of that into existence and light began to travel, it exponentially continues to expand. And I remember reading that part that says, your, right, your, your, faith, your mercy reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the clouds, and your righteousness is like the great mountains. Now, we drove down through the volcanoes and the mountains to get to the jungle, and uh, one was kind of semi-active. It was covered in white ashes, it was beautiful. I remember seeing it, taking pictures of it. I got pictures of it somewhere. <clears throat> Eight-hour drive from Quito to Sukua. Lord, your righteousness is like the great mountains and your judgment reaches is like the ocean. That word judgment is also not a good English translation because it, it's actually translated justice. It means, Father, when injustice prevails in our life, you know how to set things right. That changes the whole perspective for me. I want you to know that he's not looking for perfection or performance. I used to think that religion had taught me you got to do this and do that to get God to love you. It was wrong. His love is so constant and so solid. He loved me in my darkness. He loved me in my brokenness. He loved me when I didn't even have him on my mind. He loved me. And so when you think about this particular passage in Psalm 8, what is man that you're mindful? There's another word that you remember. It can be used there because that's one of the translations of mindful. What is man that you remember? I remember an episode of the rifleman. When Paul told Mark, don't look back, he said, Paul, I'm not really looking back, I'm remembering back. <laughs> it's okay to remember back. You can't, you can't live in the past. You can learn from it. But I want to tell you that the most important thing you could ever come to know is that the Father has you on his mind. Let's go to another place. Let's go to... Let's go to Job 7, 17. And look at what Job says. Now Job's in a, in a world of hurt. He's lost everything. He's sitting in an ash heap that used to be his house, scraping the sores with, with pieces of pottery. And if it and add injury to insult, his wife comes out and says, isn't that enough? Why don't you just curse God and die? And he replies, you talk like a foolish woman. I heard a song written about that. I know that in my flesh I shall see God. And though after my skin worms may devour this flesh, I know my Redeemer lives. Wow, what a statement. <laughs> to be in that shape, in those circumstances, and to say, I know my Redeemer lives. Now, here's what Job said before God restored twice as much as he had before. What is man that you should exalt him? That you should set your heart on him. Now listen at the heartbreak. That you should visit him every morning and test him every moment. Job is in such dire straits that he thinks it's God's fault, which is not. How long? Will you not look away from me and let me alone till I swallow my saliva? Job said, just leave me alone. I can't even, I can't even spit <laughs> because you're, you're right there. That's what Job's saying. But, but see, he's a, he has a mentality that all he's going through, the circumstances, he can't see. And, and he's, he even asked the question, have I sinned? It reminds me of John chapter 9, where they've come up on a blind man that was blind since his birth. He's probably in his 40s. And the disciples asked Jesus, they say, Master, who sinned, 
him or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither one. This is for the glory of God. Wow. This is for the glory of God. And, and so he spits in the dirt because one thing, they thought the firstborn in the Jewish culture had healing properties in their saliva, but Jesus was the Son of God. He was God in the flesh. He didn't heal everybody the same way. Sometimes he would do it. He would just kind of be unorthodox in the way he did things. So he spits in the dirt, makes a mud pie, and anoints his eyes. And he says something that really can, it really caused me to think because he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. He's a blind man. How's he going to find that pool? <laughs> because it's going to be a walk of faith. It's going to be a walk of faith. And maybe somebody's there to help him. Oh, he's anointed, but he's still blind. I'm telling you, you can have the Lord touch you. I just want you to know, if he touches you, it's just a matter of time. <laughs> when you realize that he's involved and he's got you on his mind. The man went and washed and he came seeing and infuriated some of the the uh, religious folks, they wanted to know who healed you. And he's, they went to his parents and his parents feared getting kicked out of the synagogue, the church. So they said, he's, he's of age, go ask him. They didn't want to say Jesus. And so they asked him, said, they said, they called him a sinner. They called Jesus a sinner. And he said, whether he's a sinner or not, I can't tell you. But one thing I know, I was blind, but now I can see. <laughs> you don't have to have all the answers. But he's involved. And I can tell you that he's thinking about you. Let's go to Psalm 139. His thoughts. This is what David said. I love this. Psalm 139 verse 16. Let's start at verse 13. Because this is the Father's heart. This is God, the Creator, Abba, the Father. David said, You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you, does everybody know that? That you know you're fearfully and wonderfully made? It's amazing. And I believe the Father's fascinated with each one of you because we're all born with His image. And, and that love, man, is, hang with me. He said, Marvelous are your works, that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they are all written, the days fashioned for me. Do you know God's got a book with your days in it? Absolutely. My responsibility is to find that place to be in communion and fellowship with him to the point that those days begin to unfold. Let me tell you, those days that he wrote in his book, they're epic. The enemy will fight you to keep you from living out those days that God wrote in his book about you. It's amazing. So he said, he said, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. In one place he writes, Where's, where would I go from your spirit? If I were to go to the highest peak, Lord, you're there. If I were to go to the place of the dead, Lord, you're there. If I were to go to the uttermost part of the sea, Lord, you're there. I can't get away from your spirit because you're always there. When, I'm, when I wake, I'm still with you. Now, I want you to, have you ever wondered, is God thinking his thoughts about you? 
Have you ever thought? I have. I've, I've wondered how he thinks about me, what his thoughts are about me. It's important to know, to believe what his thoughts are because those thoughts are, are for, for joy unspeakable and amazing adventure and epic adventure. It's amazing. I, I did the funeral service for Daryl Debone Plyer yesterday. He, they found him in the basement. He'd been gone for about three days and couldn't do a, an open casket, so they did a graveside, and the family asked me to do it because last time I saw him, he was sitting right back there. And he struggled with alcohol. And, uh, but that night, I remember, I went back to him, and he put a big old bear hug on me. And I was able to pray with him. They don't know what happened. But he had a pilot's license. And I made the statement while we were at the graveside. I said, we could have had a lot of conversations because I got a pilot's license too. And, and one woman spoke up and said, I wouldn't get in the airplane with him. Because <laughs> she, was, she was funny anyway, but everybody laughed. And because you learn a lot about yourself. You learn emergency procedures. And you learn how to recover from unusual attitudes. And I can tell you, I've had some unusual attitudes before. And, and I, the, the Father shows me how to recover from that. So I'm not so manipulated by emotions anymore. And so when you think about what David said, Lord, your thoughts about me are so many, they're more than the sand of the sea. I couldn't even count them. Now, you can put your name right there because his thoughts about you are the same. His thoughts about you are so many. It means he never stops thinking about you. I shared the story about how a Navy, I had a friend who was a Navy SEAL named Patrick Park, and he shared the story he was sitting with an Army Ranger one time. They were, had been out of the service, and Patrick kind of felt, discouraged and he said I feel like God has just forgotten about me and the army ranger being a believer said Patrick I want to tell you he stopped thinking about you for one millisecond you'd disappear because he holds you together that's scripture right Colossians says everything is made by him and for him and by him all things consist that word consist it means holds us together wow we're in him now i want you to think about this jesus said over in matthew chapter 6 he's teaching his disciples about life and about prayer and he says i say to you take no thought for your life what you'll eat what you'll drink or for your body, what you'll put on is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. Then he goes on to say, say something very amazing because he says, your father already knows what you have need of before you ask him. How does that happen? Because, because he's constantly thinking about us. We're always on his mind. And it changes Everything. When you understand the Father is constantly, what is man that you're mindful of him, that you think about him? What is, now I want to give you some examples in the, in the scriptures. Jesus and John records these words in John chapter 4. He told his disciples, he said, I must go through Samaria. Now, every Jew would not go through Samaria. They'd go around the Jordan to keep from going through Samaria because, as a matter of fact, they, they didn't like Samaritans. They even called Jesus a Samaritan at one point. But Jesus said, I must go through Samaria because there's a woman there. He, he didn't say this, but here's the reason. There's a woman there who's had five husbands and she's alone. He goes and he sits on the well and he's weary from his journey from walking because it's a lot longer going through Samaria. 
And a woman comes at high noon, the hottest part of the day. Why is she coming alone at the hottest part of the day but to draw water? Because usually the, the women would come in the evening or the morning when it was cooler to draw water. But she came alone. Why? Because she knew she would be the talk of the well. She knew there would be a lot of whispers, a lot of pointing. So she came alone. She didn't know she was going to meet the, the artesian well, the living water. But she came and what really, really amazed her is Jesus. You know he's thinking about her because he says, give me a drink. And she said, how is it that you being a Jew are talking to me, a Samaritan and a woman? Because every religious Pharisee would get up in the morning and say, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other men. They would say, thank you, Lord, that I'm not a dog. And thank you that I'm not a woman. That's what they would say. That's religion. So Jesus, you know, the the people, he really, really would ruffle their feathers with the religious crowd. The people that thought they were better than everybody else. You've met met those people. But you understand that we're all on level ground. He sees us all the same. I don't care where you've been, what you've done. I don't care. He sees us all the same. We're all his delight. And he has a desire to bring us into wholeness. Now, he said, Jesus said, if you knew who's talking to you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Go call your husband. <laughs> she said, I don't have one. She said, he said, that's right. You've had five, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. He goes right for the brokenness. He's not bringing condemnation or shame. He's bringing healing because he wants her to know he knows her. He's been thinking about her. She's been in his thoughts. What's amazing is, she said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. He said, she said, yeah, our fathers worshiped in this mountain and, and, and the Jews say we should worship in that mountain. And, and Jesus said, the time is coming and now is when they that worship the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. That means it's not a place or a destination. It's a relationship. It's not religion. It's a relationship. The Bible says that Jesus carried on the conversation at some point and she said sir give me this living water then I never thirst again and he did she came to a place of what some would say repentance but repentance is also a weak English translation for a word called metanoia metanoia is a radical change in the way you think How many know unless you change the way you think? I can't fix me. I can't fix me and I can't fix anybody else. Only he can do that. So I got to have a radical change in the way I think. What what kind of thinking do I... I need to understand he's thinking about me all 24-7, nonstop. If he had a wallet, your picture would be in it. If he had a refrigerator, it would be on the refrigerator. Uh, it would be a, a glossy picture of, of a magnet stuck to the refrigerator, but, but you understand that the father don't have a refrigerator or a wallet, but he's got hands. And the, Isaiah said, you've engraved our names on the palm of your hands so that we are always before you. Now, I've heard religious folks talk about Isaiah 55. And I, I was caught up in that one time because... There's a, there's a part of that chapter, if you down in the verse where it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. They're, my ways are higher than your ways. When something happens that, you know, religious, religion can't explain, that's what, well, you know, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways, but they're reading it out of context. You got to read the first part because it begins like this. 
If you're thirsty, come and get a drink and you don't have to pay anything. It won't cost you a dime. If you're hungry, come and buy food without money. Why? Because my ways are different than yours. Because you might think you've got to earn it. You, you may think that you have to, have to perform your way into a place where you deserve it. But it's not about deserving anything. It's not about earning anything. It's about submitting to His will and coming to the place where you realize that He's so madly in love with us that, that He wants us to enjoy the abundance of His presence without paying for it, without performance, without a price. That, that's the context. And he goes on down a little further. If you read Isaiah's prophesying 800 years before Jesus, and he says, but there's a conjunction. It's about to change. As the rain comes down and the snow comes down, that means his words, his ways, and his thoughts are going to settle in to some places and waters the earth and causes it to bud and bring forth fruit. So shall my word be. It will prosper in the thing that I sent it out to do. Well, what did he send his word to do? Do you know that a word is an audible expression of an inaudible thought? When we speak, we reveal our thoughts. Our plan, maybe our agenda, our ideas, our opinions. So he said, my ways are higher than yours, my thoughts are higher than yours. But as the rain comes down and snow and waters the earth and causes it to bring forth fruit, so shall my word be. It will prosper in the thing that I sent it out to do. So when Jesus reveals to the woman and she has this radical metanoia, and she realizes she's talking to God in the flesh and the Savior. She leaves her water pot and runs into the city of Samaria and says, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. And I believe she might have added this in her evangelistic, or her message. He told me everything I ever did. He knew me. He was thinking about me. But he gave me life, and he gave me living water. Come and see a man that changed my life forever, that I'll never think the same way, and I'll never feel alone because he's always with me. Wow. So I tell my grandchildren, they'll ask me, especially when they're, they were younger, they don't ask me quite so much anymore. They're older. Youngest is 12 <laughs> They're more independent, I guess, but they would ask, they called me Big Daddy, so they said, Big Daddy, can you fix this? I said, I can do anything. Because Paul sitting in jail, the chains of the Roman soldiers probably rattling, rattling while he's writing on the papyrus. And he writes to the church at Philippi and says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How can you write that? when you're in prison <laughs> because he understands the power of the word. He even says the word of God is not bound. My word will prosper in the thing that I sent it out to do. That means if you let it settle in here, if you let it get past all of the, of the other voices to settle in here and understand beloved identity, Understand how much the Father loves you. That He came right into our darkness. He came into our darkness to reveal love. That's why Jesus said in John, He said, I'm the light of the world. If you come follow me, you'll not walk in darkness. But Matthew 5, He says something else. He says, you're the light of the world. Why? Because we're one in Him. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Whoa. <laughs> Just look at your neighbor and tell him he's about to light you up. <laughs> yeah, man, he's going to light you up. <laughs> Amen. 
You can't explain it. If you could explain it, it wouldn't be God. I can't explain it, but I can tell you, I can see the hand of God. I traveled with the King of the Messiah in Africa from Kenya to Uganda. I remember 18 hours in a minivan. (laughs) And and, uh, everywhere we'd go, everybody knew who he was because he had this shawl that was colored specifically for the king. Everybody knew him from Kenya to Uganda. So we were always treated with respect because we were with him. And, and we, we wound up at the place. How many have ever heard the story of no man's land? Have I talked to you about that? Some of you have. But I, someone had handed me a book. Now, this is about the thoughts of the Father toward us. He's always thinking about me. He was thinking about me before I ever went to Africa, before I ever had an idea I was going to Africa. And the friend of mine put a book in my hand called, Your God is Too Safe. It was written by a Baptist pastor named Mark Buchanan. <laughs> I couldn't put it down. It was so prolific and so enthralled me. And the intro tells about a place between Kenya and Uganda that's 100 yards wide. It's a place between the borders where neither Kenya nor Uganda take jurisdiction because it's called no man's land. You would cross that border at your own risk because you could be mugged, you could be robbed, you could be beaten, you could be killed, and nobody would be prosecuted because there's no law. It's no man's land. About midnight, we got to the border. It was a couple of years later after I read the book. And all of a sudden, I began to remember back. I remember back about no man's land and it was midnight and we paid the hundred dollar fee to the guy with a roll of money there was two or three guys in a block building that was the border of Kenya and we paid them a hundred dollars and when we got to this side we had to pay a hundred dollars but as we walked across there's a guy named Gary Skeen he's a little taller than me and I start telling him the story I said Gary I think we're in no man's land I said I said, I, I think that there's no law here. And I told him the story. He, about middle ways, about 50 yards out, and he said, well, thank you for telling me now. We're right in the middle of it. And, <laughs> and uh, I could see the fear begin to creep over his face. I said, it's okay, because it was almost abandoned. There was hardly any people there. But when we got to the other side and, and was able to cross into Uganda, we met Wandira uh, Paul, who was a, a, a young Ugandan pastor that was trained to be a, a witch doctor for three years, had a vision of Jesus, and had a metanoia moment, and his life was changed and became a pastor. And I walked up to him. I said, Pastor, I said, I want to know. Did we just walk across no man's land? He said, you did. (laughs) You did just come across no man's land. That had that really thick accent and I loved it. And I said, well, I'm glad we made it. He said, it's not like it used to be because now Kenya and Uganda take jurisdiction and they don't allow all of the shenanigans that used to go on. And I was grateful. But you understand, God saw the day. That's one of my days that was written in his book. So he, however, he used that book to give me a picture of where I was going. And I began to apply that to my own life. I said, Lord, how many times have I lived in no man's land? How many times have I lived in a place without direction? without any hope, without any idea that I would ever get out. Well, it's always going to be this way. Not if the Father has anything to do with it. Not if you understand that He's already made provision for us to live this epic, amazing life. Because what is man that you're mindful and you remember him? Now, I want to tell you what. Somebody wrote a book one time and 
And in that book, they talked about Jesus sitting by the Father and the Father looking at somebody and saying, who is that? And Jesus said, oh, you remember. That's absolutely false. Because Jesus doesn't have to remind the Father who any of us are. He knows us. In many ways, He knows me better than I know myself. But you know what? He's not disappointed. Because He understands. David said, you know my uprising and my downsitting. You know when I go out and when I come in. You know the areas of my life that I'm struggling with. You know. Jesus is amazing. He's amazing. So he said, take no thought. They say anxiety is meditating on life as if God does not exist. I'll say that again. Anxiety comes when we meditate on life as though God does not exist. That can bring depression, right? But I want to tell you, he does. And he is. And he is focused on us and constantly thinking about us. Constantly. He made provision for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. To do what? To bring us to a place of wholeness. Healing and victory and, 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 and vision. Man. You, you understand, I'm like two 34-year-olds trapped in a 68-year-old body. <laughs> My wife tells me it's like two 33-year-olds and a toddler, but, you know, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay because, you know, I believe that I got a lot of life left at 68. My granddad lived to be 97. I called him up at 93 years old. I said, how you doing, Grandpa? He's a little short guy, mechanic. He said, I'm not doing too good. I said, what's going on? He said, I just took the transmission out of Mo Buick at 93. <laughs> And I said, I said, you're going to put the other one? He said, well, I guess I'll have to. <laughs> and he did. But he would always turn his breather over. He drove Buicks with four barrels, and he turned the breather over so he could hear the four barrel kick in when he scratched. He'd park in the gravel so he could scratch off. <laughs> he was, if you weren't prayed up when you got in the car with him, right, honey? You would be when you got out. Because he, he loved speed. He loved speed. But, but, but you understand that the Father loves you so much. His heart. Here's what, let me give you these verses and I'm getting close. Here's what Romans 8, one of my favorite chapters. Paul starts out, he says, There's no shame to those that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made us free from the law of sin and death. Goes on down to verse 31 and he says, What shall we say then to these things? All the obstacles, the struggles, the, the issues. What shall we say to these things? The opinions of others, the ideas, the tags, the titles that they put on us. What shall we say to these things? I know what we'll say. If God be for us, who can be against us? If he spared not his own son, but offered him up for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things? Whoa. I'm on his mind. He sits up to watch you sleep. He don't have to sleep. But he sits up to watch you sleep. Think about it. Have you ever wondered what kind of thoughts God's thinking about you? I used to think he was mostly disappointed with me because I could never live up to the standard religious religion tried to make me believe I had to do to get God to really love me. But I discovered that's not the case at all. He loved me before the foundation of the world. He loved you before the foundation of the world. That love's solid. When we come to that place of beloved identity, Here's, here's a, I'm going to give you this one more verse and then we're going to pray. Let's see what time is it. Is it? I want to be mindful. Yeah, we're good. Jesus in John 14. Philip comes to him and he says, 
Jesus has said that me and my Father are one. He's in me and I'm in Him. And the works you see do, they're the works I've seen my Father do. So when we ask, is God thinking about me? It's, what's He like? Philip said, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you that long that you don't know yet? You don't really know me? He said, I want you to know, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Wow. Wow. If you've seen me. Then he goes on in that same chapter and he says these words. I want you to think about this. In that day, what day? When Holy Spirit comes, you're going to know that I'm in the Father and you're in me. Wow. And that we are one. And I'm in you. Wow. Changes everything. My life is forever influenced and impacted by this extravagant gift and this extravagant love that the Father lavished on me. I was raised in church, but some of the things I was, I was taught brought me to an emotional turmoil because I believed there was something I needed to do to fix me, to, to try harder. You ever felt like you just needed to try harder? Maybe well-meaning people that maybe close to you have tried to convince you, you just need to try harder. I felt that. But to no avail. I found myself in a place where emotional turmoil, the message of religion is try harder. That's the religious, that, that's the message, try harder. Jesus is always thinking of us. He's the Father, He's God in the flesh. Now, I want you to go to Jericho with me for a moment. We've got a few minutes. He's going through Jericho, and there's a tax collector hiding up in a tree to get a look at Jesus. They were the most despised, hated people by the Jewish people because they, they would pilfer and steal. And even the, the Pharisees, what, what they would do, here, here's a beautiful picture. When he called Matthew, Matthew was really lonely, I'm sure, because if anybody rubbed up against a tax collector, if a, if a Pharisee rubbed up against a tax collector, he would go home and take a bath and wash his clothes because they were so appalled. And they, that's one of those guys, he said, I'm glad I'm better than him. But that's not Jesus' message. Jesus, when they looked at Matthew and probably Zacchaeus, little short guy, too short to see over the crowd, so he climbs a tree. They saw a dog. They saw what they thought was garbage. But if you read Matthew's account, Jesus saw a man. That's what it says. When he saw Matthew, he saw a man. And he said, come follow me. Matthew left everything. You know why? Because Jesus saw something in Matthew that Matthew hadn't seen himself. But I think it, it really was so amazing that Matthew said, I got I to gotta walk, I got to go with this man because I've never felt like this. Zacchaeus is up in the tree. Why is Jesus going through Jericho? Because he's thinking. He's doing what his father He's seen his father do. He's seen, doing what? What's his father doing? He's thinking about Zacchaeus. He's mindful of Zacchaeus. Whoa. And he goes and Jesus walks right over to the tree he's in. He can't hide. He said, come down out of that tree. I'm going to have dinner with you. This appalled. You know what the first he said about Jesus? This man is a friend of sinners. And he 
He receives sinners and he eats with them. Whoa. Do you know that word receive is a weak English translation? It literally means, it, here's the word the receive. It means Jesus was, I've been looking, I've been waiting for you. I've got everything ready. I, I'm just beside myself waiting for you to show up. I have got everything ready so that we can have fellowship together. And when, he show, when, when they show up, he, I, Jesus puts them in a big old bear hug. Said, I've been waiting for you. Come on in. Come on in. And the Pharisees are complaining. And Jesus said, I didn't come. A physician don't need to heal those that are well. But I've come to bring wholeness to those that are sick. Wow. It's amazing. Why is he in Zerico? Because the father's thinking about Zacchaeus. Why is he healing the blind man in John chapter 9? Because the father's thinking about a blind man and Jesus saw him, want him, and he said, he, said, he went and healed him. And man, so you say, pastor, that's well and good, but is, is he thinking about me? Absolutely. He's thinking about you. And he's not disappointed. He's not going to kick you to the curb. He's not going to give up on you. So I want you to stand with me. John, the same one that wrote about himself, the disciple that Jesus loved, he wrote that about himself but three or four times. And John, not that he didn't love everybody else, but John knew how much he was loved. So he wrote about it. The disciple that Jesus loved. Wow. So I believe we could write that same. Wayne Hughes, that man that Jesus loves. Wow. John Blair. The disciple that Jesus, that teacher that Jesus loves. Chris, Charlie, Brandon, Eddie, all these guys that Jesus loves. Whoa, man. Song I grew up. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus. Sing it with me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. So I want you to just wrap your heart around this. You can't wrap your head around it. You have to have your mind renewed, but you can wrap your heart around it. What is a man that you're mindful? You remember. That word remember doesn't mean that he has to go back. It means he's already there. He's already right there. And he's already right here. So I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you that the Holy Spirit will reveal. Jesus said, if you, if you love me, my Father will love you and we'll come in and we'll manifest ourselves to you. How does that happen? Wholeness, healing, victory. Oh, man. I never thought that I would be on the adventures I've been on. I don't know. I'm in a different season now, but I've been to 10 different countries. Came through Mumbai. Remember, Mumbai was where the terrorists hit the Taj Mahal Hotel. Killed a bunch of people. The weekend we were supposed to fly out, and the bishop called and said, don't come yet. I said, why? He said, it's too dangerous. I said, okay, you got it. <laughs> a few weeks later, that was April, and, and that was December, April, 
We landed in Hyderabad, flew into Rajamundry. We're there for 14 days and saw the lepers and the orphans and was so changed by finding people. 25,000 people in one, at one time came to know the Lord in one night. 25,000. I'm talking about Muslims, Hindus, every religious background, metanoia. Wow. And some of them got healed. They come up and testified of, of healing that took place in their bodies because of the love of the Father. Wow. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm so grateful that all of you are here tonight. And I, my prayer is that, see, when you leave, he's not going to leave you. He's going with you. He don't just show up when you get to church. He's been with you all the way. Every step of the way, he's been there. And I want you to know that. Lord, we bless you. We acknowledge you. It just overwhelms us, Lord, to think about that great, extraordinary, extravagant love that you have for us. That, Lord, we are constantly on your mind. Our thoughts, your thoughts about us are more than we could ever count. Like David said, they're more than the sand of the sea. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you've sustained us and you've kept us. Now we pray, Lord, that there will be a wholeness that will come to every heart, every life will be able to embrace a truth, the truth that makes us free, and, and that we'll all have a renewed mind, that our minds are renewed in Christ, that we know that your completed work is enough. It's not in the formula of our prayer, or it's not in the formula of our performance, Lord, but it's in your completed work. Now we look to you, Father, and we thank you for victory because you cause us to triumph and celebrate the victory. We pray, Lord, for wholeness and healing, every emotion, every, every place, Lord, that has a wound. We pray, Lord, that there'll be a wholeness and healing come. Lord, we thank you for your protection, that, Lord, no weapon formed against us will prosper. We thank you for your provision because you're the Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who gives us exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. But Lord, most of all, we're grateful for your presence. Lord, surely goodness and mercy shall dwell, shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell, I will return to the house of the Lord forever. And I give you praise in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. God bless you.